The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. About eight days after Peter had acknowledged Jesus as the Christ of God, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent, and in those days told no one any of the things that they had seen. The Gospel of the Lord. May the words of our, my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. I have a framed picture from Life magazine, a Life magazine I'd say 10 or 15 years ago, that I really love. I had it framed, and actually it's in the, uh, it's in the parish hall on a stand so that you can look at it when, uh, when the service is over. It's from a cover story in Life called, Who is Jesus? And on the cover of that magazine was a picture of Jesus from a rather traditional source, a Western icon of some sort. But inside, as part of the article, was another picture that was made up of 16 different pictures of Jesus. Each face of Jesus in that grid of 16 comes from a different culture or a different part of the world. There's a Korean Jesus, and a Chinese Jesus, and an African-American Jesus, and a West African Jesus, a Native American Jesus. Uh, there's a, a picture of a female Jesus. There's the picture uh, that might be familiar to many of us of, the, uh, of a European-American Jesus. It's the kind of stereotypical one where he's looking off in the distance, sort of with chiseled features and looking very waspy. There's that Jesus as well. The main point, though, is that each, there was a Jesus there from 16 different parts of the world, 16 different stations in life. And each face captures the reality that God in Christ comes to us in the particulars of every race and nation. 
So the first Jesus came to us as a Palestinian Jew 2,000 years ago. Jesus continues to come to us in the particulars of every race and nation, in the face of every person we meet every day. Now if you look at the, at the faces of Jesus in that picture, all kinds of expressions are present. There's pain, there's serenity, there's compassion, there's sorrow, there's determination, maybe even a bit of anger, some fatigue. It is interesting to note that there are no faces that represent obvious joy. And in fact, if you think about it, if you think about the, the faces of Jesus that we've seen, that we see in serious art, uh, it's pretty rare to see a laughing or a smiling Jesus. Just too bad, because I think as often as not, we need to see a smiling or laughing Jesus, as well as a Jesus that knows where we are in terms of our pain. Most of the, the smiling Jesuses or laughing Jesuses that I've seen have been in the context of materials prepared for children, which is also too bad because adults, as much as children, need to know about laughter, that Jesus must have laughed and smiled and, and been joyful. But in any case, uh, despite the, the limited number of expressions in this face of, these faces of Jesus, we can be sure that Jesus' Jesus's face expressed all the emotions, all the feelings that any human being in any time and place could possibly feel. Now, if we think about it, faces, our face, each of our faces, is what we present to the world. But they both cover and reveal what's going on inside of us. So, we often try to take some care with our faces. We try to control what they reveal through our expressions or perhaps some of us may use a little bit of makeup every now and again. Some of us may surgically alter them. None of us in this room, I'm sure. Some of us may shave them or not shave them, as the case may be. But we take care to present our best face, we might say. It's what people first notice about us. It gives clues. It gives clues about who we are and what we're about. It's probably the main reason that each of us probably has at least one mirror in our house. We care about what our face looks like. We think about the expressions uh, having FaceTime with someone. You know, emails are okay, and phone calls are okay, and letters are okay, but when you really want to be with someone and, and know that they're caring about what's going on with you and you're caring about, about what's going on with them, you want to have FaceTime, right? Or when you, we say, when we talk about facing up to something, that's the expression we use when, when we're really interested in getting at the truth about something. So faces are an incredibly important part of who we are and how we experience and present ourselves to the world. They're also important in how we relate with God. The stories from Exodus and from Luke this morning make some specific note of the radiance of the faces of Jesus and Moses. Exodus tells us that when Moses came down the mountain, the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. 
And likewise, in the Gospel story, the appearance of Jesus' face changes. The story doesn't say exactly how it changes, but that it does change, that it's somehow glorified. Even the clothes on his body change color. Somehow, in their contact with God, in their prayer and conversation, in their presence with God, the faces of Moses and Jesus change. They're transfigured. There's a dramatic change in their appearance, and one that, if we use the dictionary definition, reveals great beauty or spirituality or some kind of magnificence that wasn't initially present. Now, I'm going to make a leap here and suggest that it's the power and love of God that changes these faces in Moses and in Jesus. And that it's also the power and love of God that allows those that are around Moses and Jesus to see God in the face of Moses and Jesus. And I'm going to take a further leap and say that today it's the love and power of God that changes our faces, that changes what's behind the face, And it allows us to see in one another's faces God in Christ. God's love transfigures the face and the personhood of the person we see. And God's love changes us so that we can see the face of Jesus in in whomever is in front of us. A few weeks ago, I saw a movie called Freedom Writers. That's spelled W-R-I-T-E-R-S. Of course, it's a play on the Freedom Riders, those uh, freedom fighters and, uh, and civil rights activists who made their way through the South in the pursuit of civil rights for this country. This movie was called Freedom Riders. It's based on the true story of a white English teacher, brand new teacher, at a multiracial, gang-infested high school in Long Beach, California. Really a good movie. I highly recommend it. There's a particular character in that movie that really grabbed me. I don't recall her name, but she was a tough, hard-nosed Latina girl with a beautiful face, but hard. Hard as nails. Schooled in the fighting and violence and self-preservation that she needed to make her way. She was angry, and rightly so, at the injustice that she encountered every day in her world. In one particular classroom scene, she's responding to a question that the teacher has asked of the class. And in her response, in this girl's response, she was so angry, she was so angry that she could hardly speak. Her teeth were clenched so tightly that the words could just barely get out. But try as she might to remain as tough as she could be, the tears, the tears came from her eyes. She didn't truly believe that her teacher could or truly wanted to help her or the other students in her class. Now, as I was watching this 
face reveal itself. Somehow God's love and power enabled me to see beyond the hardness, the anger, the hatred on this face, to see behind it a tender-hearted, terrified child of God who yearned what all of us yearned for what all of us yearn for safety purpose love and a meaningful future her face was transfigured for me and as the movie goes on to show the love of that teacher for her students transfigured that girl and the other students in that class now I imagine most of us don't have to go to the movies to think of a face or to imagine a face where we might find difficulty seeing the face of Jesus before us. We probably don't have to go far to see a face that maybe is expressing anger and hatred or frustration or sadness toward us. That face may be very nearby or it could be far away. I know I've been imagining whenever I hear the news these days about the latest suicide bomber, I try to imagine the face of someone who would blow themselves up and others around them in the cause that they're pursuing. Or we could imagine the face of a homeless person we see downtown. Or someone whose politics or personality or circumstances or personal presentation we might find embarrassing. It might be hard for us to see the face of Jesus in a person like that. A challenge for Lent, a challenge for us this Lent, might be to practice, to practice seeing the face of Jesus in someone that you might have trouble with. Another way to put this would be to say that Lent is a good time to practice loving, practice loving as God loves. Now, as Paul points out to us in that magnificent letter from Corinthians, or to the Corinthians, that kind of love is pretty demanding. The word for love here used is agape, one of the two words used for love in the New Testament. The other being philia. Philia is where we get words like Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, or philanthropy. It implies a kind of mutuality or reciprocity between two people. Agape doesn't assume that at all. Agape, in fact, assumes that there may be nothing coming back. It's a love that goes out expecting nothing in return. It's primarily interested in the good of the other. Paul tells us, reminds us that this love is patient, it's kind, it's not envious, it's not boastful, it's not arrogant, it's not rude, it does not insist on its own way, it's not irritable, it's not resentful, it does not rejoice in wrongdoing. I can't get through five minutes of a day. I don't know about you, but not doing any of those things, that's pretty tough. It's God's love. This love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. 
But as Paul also wisely points out, none of us is there yet in loving in this kind of way. And Paul must have known, he probably had a few characters in his life who were tough to love, including himself. He writes of his own growth in love as a progression from childhood to maturity. He writes, when I was a child, I spoke, I thought, I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to foolish ways. I never met an adult like that before. But maybe Paul was one, I don't know. But he acknowledges, he acknowledges the imperfection in our attempts. He writes, Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part. Then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. Of course, he writes someday of knowing God fully, of seeing God's face fully, <clears throat> even as God already sees Paul, already knows what's behind Paul's visage, what's behind his face, what's behind the mirror that he holds up to the world. In the meantime, as Paul was waiting for that face-to-face -face encounter, he had the people around him to practice with. And, of course, in the meantime, so do we have each other to practice with, seeing the face of Jesus in one another. As our journey in faith comes again to this Lenten season, we have a season of opportunity to recommit ourselves to seeing all whom we meet with love. We have the chance to dedicate ourselves to practice seeing, however imperfectly, the face of Jesus in all whom we meet. Amen.